You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. So tonight, of course, is one of the first steps after Palm Sunday that we take as followers of Jesus Christ on our way to Easter. As Christians, we don't get to just jump from Palm Sunday straight to the resurrection because there's so much that happens in the in-between. And we begin that time here tonight up with Jesus in an upper room. Tomorrow we will meet Jesus on a cross, but today we are with him, alive, speaking to us, ministering to us, and in this case, feeding and serving us. Each of the Gospels tells the story a little bit different about that last meal. And John's is perhaps the most unique among the foretellings. Did you all pick up some of the tension in these verses? There's almost an electric charge in the air of John's telling of the Last Supper. If we listen closely, we can hear some of the rumblings of the storm that is just ahead. John does not spend much time on the meal. He just says there was a meal. Nor, for that matter, does John spend that much time on the foot washing itself. John is the only one that has Jesus kneeling at the feet of the disciples to wash their feet. But even that passes pretty quick in these verses. John's focus, it seems, at the Last Supper instead is on the relationships and the dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. Not all of you are clean. Jesus says. There's a little edge in that, don't you think? A little tension. Or Simon Peter, who says, well, not just my feet, Lord, also my hands and my head, to which Jesus responds, nope, just your feet. If you keep reading just beyond these verses, in fact, we get to a little bit more stormy weather. We get to these verses where Jesus foretells of his betrayal by Judas, but also of Peter's denial. The Last Supper, according to John, is steeped in this climate of brokenness and of betrayal, of distrust and of denial. But what's really interesting is right in the middle of the brokenness and of the denial and those verses right after where we stopped, Jesus issues the greatest command. Do you know the greatest command? What is the greatest command but to love one another, Jesus says. Right in the middle. He's just predicted that Judas will betray him, and he's about to tell us that Peter will deny him, but right smack dab in the middle of all of that brokenness and of all that betrayal and denial, Jesus says to his disciples, to us, to love one another. There's a very real sense in John's telling of the Last Supper that despite the brokenness and the betrayal, despite the denial and the distrust, We are people who are called to serve in a way that is not always easy. 
right? Jesus does not use all of those things as an excuse not to love his disciples or to serve his disciples. Rather, he uses them as a reason to serve and to love. It's really interesting. Just about an hour and a half ago, some of you were there. We had our Thursday meal ministry just across the parking lot in the Arthur Center. Leslie and John Daniel led a brief worship service Uh, lifting up what we are lifting up, the story of the Last Supper and serving communion to our neighbors there. And then we served our meal as we always do on Thursdays to those neighbors who came. And there was one of you who I think is here who just said to me, just kind of in passing, after she had taken communion, she said, you know, serving for me, it brings healing. This is a person who, like all of us, has faced hard times recently in different ways. But serving, she said, that's what's helping to bring some healing for me. It reminded me of another meal right before this one in John's Gospel. It's another dinner party. It's not in an upper room, but it's in the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And on the guest list at this particular dinner party in John chapter 12, we were in John 13 just a moment ago, So one chapter before on that guest list is Jesus and Judas. Anyone know who else? Bible scholars? Lazarus. Who, interestingly enough, in the chapter before chapter 12 was dead. And now he is very much not dead. Eating a meal with Jesus and Mary and Martha and Judas. And an incredible thing happens in that meal where Mary, she washes someone's feet. She washes Jesus' feet at that dinner party. But she doesn't use water. What does she use? Oil, nard, perfume, this incredibly expensive substance. And she doesn't use just a little, does she? It says she kneels down there in front of Jesus and she pours it all over his feet and then she uses her hair And she wipes Jesus' feet clean. I'm thinking in that context, here we have Mary, whose brother was just dead, but is now alive. And I'm thinking to myself, surely she's still processing some of that event. Surely she is still in need of some healing. And her instinct in that moment is to serve, to serve Jesus. By washing his feet. Now Judas, ever the foil, Judas gets upset. Don't waste all of that. What are you doing? Jesus, tell her to stop. But Jesus says, no, Judas. You have it wrong. She has it right. This example of abundant grace, of abundant, extravagant love. This is the example we are called to follow. This is where true healing can come from. Fast forward to the scene that Joanne just read. The scene of the upper room in John's gospel. Jesus, I think, might be hurting a little bit. Because Jesus knows what's about to come. He knows that that betrayal and that denial, it is right in front of him. Jesus is in need of a little bit of healing. But is his instinct to push all of those disciples away? To say, you all, you're screw-ups. Haven't you learned anything? No, he doesn't. Instead, he kneels down. 
and he serves. He washes his disciples' feet. Can you imagine how hard that must have been for Mary? Can you imagine how hard that must have been for Jesus? But what if Jesus here is showing us what that member in our midst realized tonight, which is that it is by serving in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the hurt and the betrayal and the denial and the distrust, it is by serving that healing can begin to take place. Right, in just a few moments, we're going to try an experiment. I understand it's been tried here before in the past, but it's been some time. We'll have very clear instructions, what I hope will be very clear when we get to that part. But we're going to serve each other communion around the tables. And I imagine that as you look to the people who are seated next to you, you'll probably see faces that you know. I bet you're sitting by a family member or friend, or even if it is a stranger, it's probably a friendly stranger. It's someone who you feel comfortable sitting with. It's someone who maybe you talked with a little bit over dinner, I hope. One of the best ways for a church to strengthen its bonds is to break bread together. But the reality is around these tables tonight for each of us, there are people who are hurting. There are people who have been betrayed, people who know what it is like to feel denied by someone else. And if we're willing to get really honest with ourselves, I think it's fair to say, too, that around these tables tonight, there are people who have caused brokenness. There are people who have betrayed others. There are people who have partaken of the same things that Judas and Simon Peter partake of in the gospel. And friends, don't deceive yourself. That's us. And our instinct might be to say, well, Jesus offers you this bread and cup, but not me. That's the kind of love that pushes it away. The love of Maundy Thursday, though, the love of the upper room, is the kind of love that offers ourselves as well that turns to our neighbor and serves them, despite the fact that they may be someone who has caused us hurt, despite the fact that they may be someone who we will never see again in our lives, despite the brokenness that sits beside us and the brokenness that sits within us, Jesus gives us an example here of what true Christian love, abundant, extravagant love can look like. And the reason Jesus offers it to us is because Jesus knows that only when we as his disciples are able and willing to turn to our neighbors and serve others in the way that Jesus serves us, only then can healing healing of our own hearts, healing of our communities, healing of our nation, of our world, only then can true healing begin to take place. Only then can true renewal begin to take place. Only then can true reconciliation begin to take place. And just maybe, just maybe, I think Jesus is cueing us in here. When we are willing to follow his example, 
His example of loving people who are so darn hard to love. That only then, perhaps, can new life, can resurrection begin to happen. Friends, we are there tonight with Jesus in that upper room. And there's tension and there's hurt and there's brokenness. But Jesus shows us a way forward rather than a way back. Jesus shows us an example for the way that we can join him in offering that true resurrection love to a world that is in such need of it. There's still a ways to go before we come together on Easter morning. But even here, before Jesus even goes down into his arrest in that garden, even here before Jesus goes to the cross, even here before Jesus himself experiences death, he is showing us the way to new life. Taste and see, taste and see that God is good. Amen.